Hi guys, welcome to Behind the Bites, episode 24. We're back after um, after a rather long break. Two, three weeks. Two, three weeks, yeah, absolutely. A long hiatus. Yes, and this show is going to be slightly different. There are a couple of very interesting things that we're doing. First of all, we're going to have our first ever guest on the show. And uh, we have um, Omar from Jero Pedo, a site that you guys might remember as being one of the best online stores in the UAE. So we'll have a quick chat with him. And then even though we've got someone new, we have to say goodbye to Bavishya as well. It's his last show. Yes, it he, is. He is moving to Barcelona. I am. I'm going to be doing my MBA at IESE Business School. Nice. That's fantastic. You know what? We could possibly Skype you in sometimes and that sort of, you know. That would be fun. Maybe from MWC. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Live <laughs> <laughs> from Barcelona. Good stuff. So. So, um, Omar, thank you very much for joining us and welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. Excellent stuff. So I think um, you're probably one of the most experienced e-commerce people I know in the region. You've actually run a business, started a business, um, you know, like ran it successfully and then exited out of it. Uh, just for our listeners to get an idea on, you know, the digital market, as I put it, uh, what did you think of it? I, I know that you haven't done anything in the U.S. and I know that's a huge market. But I mean, what are your overall impressions of this market, of the region? Um, I love the region. Grew up here, almost born here. But um, yeah, I think it's. I think the market's come along a lot from. So when we we kicked off uh, late twenty ten, September twenty ten, and I think from that point the market's just come up in leaps and bounds. Um, yeah, and you know I think we're just going to keep seeing growth. I think we're still at like two to three percent of retail today, and okay. I think the market's just you know I think probably the next five to seven years is probably going to go to bit anywhere between eight, ten, maybe twelve percent if you're lucky. It's a massive opportunity to grow on, yeah, on so, the e-commerce side. Okay so you mentioned you launched in September 2010. How were things different back then compared to um, when did you exit JDF? Was it uh, March of so this year? So it was year, uh, April, May, April, April, May, April, May this year. Okay yeah. all right. Um, so that's yeah, a good almost six and a half years. Yeah dramatically different. I think um, you know it was a struggle trying to convince people about what e-commerce was, less so consumers. So I think consumers, especially the prosumer markets, had understood it very quickly. Right. Um, because it had typically experiences outside. But um, I think on the supplier end with payments, um, you know, convince, sort of trying to hire people, trying to hire engineers, it was that was all a challenge. I think across the board it was challenging. And I think a lot of that stuff today is just taken, accepted, granted. Sure, we still see some challenges in the space, but... You know, I think a lot of that stuff has uh, been solved to a fairly high degree. The product itself, I mean, you said you had developers and stuff. Were you building most of it here in, in, in the UAE? Yeah, so we built, we built everything from scratch. Um, initially, the team was all based here. Um, over the last couple of years, uh, we built out uh, a bunch of functions out in Sri Lanka. So we had um, engineering, we had product, uh, we had content, uh, some bits of finance. Um, based out there for for us as well and um, it was almost it wasn't really a back office operation more half and half so half the team there half the team here okay um, and yeah but everything happened in-house for us nice very very nice so when you started JDPod originally it was more or less just a you know you were selling your own products basically or basically you were selling products directly then it sort of evolved into a marketplace. Uh, you, I know you gave a shot at... Um, JP Direct as well. So it was yeah. JP Direct and Marketplace simultaneously. And then, yeah. Before evolving to complete Marketplace. So, I mean, what lessons were learned in that? Um, lots. So I think we... I think we always saw ourselves as a technology business that happened to be doing retail. Um, and... So we went. So I, I mean, I think we bought a decent retail experience, and you know, we we're able to get product to customers quickly, and hopefully, you know, they were they were satisfied with what they were getting. Um, I think the challenge was that 
within that given category, which was primarily was was built around electronics, mm-hmm. kind of grow out of that category and grow margin in that category, um, is particularly challenging. And I think the question that we started asking, um, it was um, early to mid twenty fourteen around how do we get into other categories and how do we sort of grow this business out that way without having to hold all the inventory. And so that led to thinking about marketplace and saying, okay, um, you know, let's build the marketplace. And initially, the plan was let's tack a marketplace onto what we've already got. And by the time we'd finished that, finished building that initial sort of concept, about six months later, we realized that we couldn't tack it on, and you know, the business needed to evolve and change. And so, by February 2015, we repositioned the business around and essentially became a marketplace platform. And um, so that the experience wasn't too jarring. We decided to keep the retail piece running at that point just to see what would happen. Um, unfortunately, the side consequence of, of having a marketplace now was that some of the guys that we'd been buying from, some of the guys that were competing against us essentially became participants on the marketplace and started competing against us on our own platform, um, which eventually is going to lead to um, you know us not having to do retail or not really doing retail. Um, but yeah, I think it was, you know, Hopefully we did a good job at the various bits and pieces. Oh no, we've got fond memories. In fact, I think we have a question from Pavishya on that was, uh, I remember he had sent me a question was, um, on the e-commerce side of things, you're always going to find someone who's going to undercut you. How how do you survive that? How do you thrive a business? How do you build a business when, you know, you always have someone behind your back or someone, you know, in front of you as well, just trying to undercut you? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's challenging. And I think you're seeing that globally today, right? Where um, I think everyone is... Um, sort of aware of the elephant in the room, i.e. Amazon and and Amazon being extremely good at um, sort of driving prices down, generally speaking, across multiple categories. And I think for us, it was, um, you know, trying to tackle, um, at, at least from a retail perspective, was trying to tackle um, a niche where we could go off and target customers who were less price sensitive, um, who had um, an urgent or more immediate need, um, and then essentially sort of build the business around that. So we were, sure, we were in the same price range, but we were never sort of rock bottom competitive essentially and um i think at that at that time it was it, w- it was an interesting play and i think it could actually you know i mean we go back into bed all the time i think it could actually even be an interesting play today to just go out and offer something that's based very much around service and you know today if you if you sort of look at our e-commerce landscape in the region um i think it's fairly likely that someone like an amazon is going to probably take up the large share of a general merchandise play but you know in terms of the other plays out there, whether it be fashion or health or uh, things like autos and uh, you know auto parts and so on, they're, they're, they're big, big categories that you can essentially build significant businesses around. Where sure you need to be price competitive, but you don't have to be rock bottom if you're you know if you've got a com- compelling proposition essentially. Fair enough. Now, one of the things you mentioned was uh, while you were doing your own um, the um, the profit rates or basically the margins that you had on electronics were very very low, so someone who's looking to start a new business online as an advice what would you sort of tell them look i mean guys make sure that your profit is at least x percentage versus your cost i mean what what advice would you give someone on who's looking to get into the oh, space great question um i i, I think or I, at least what the minimum what's the minimum that they should do yeah, I, in I, order to survive i think the they're I, I think it's so so i think margins and so on are, are dependent on cost structure as well right so you know if you're um, a one-room, one-person operation selling phones at, you know, a three or a five percent margin. Sure, you can make you can make a fair amount of money that way. But you know, if you're trying to run a large organization doing that, I think that's a challenging proposition today. I mean, I'd 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 always sort of look at categories where there's 
significant double digit margin so um you know something else that comes to mind uh, nutrition for example there's 20 30 40 50 percent margins there where you've got enough cushion and depending on 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 how and where your customers are and how you're serving them so for example you know when you start introducing things like cross-border or cash and delivery and those are various elements um the more margin you've got to be able to cushion yourself uh, the easier it is to essentially um be able to serve customers in the way that they want to be served but also be able to so for example if you've got a return or you get you know um, someone who rejects your, your product or doesn't want to accept the delivery or whatever, it's much easier to cushion when you've got that margin in place. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Uh, now, when you started Jeropedo, there weren't many payment providers based out the region, and there are a few now. Some of them good, some of them not necessarily that great. Uh, what's your take on that if someone wants to start a new business, let's say, today? Uh, is there any particular, you know, what do you think they should be looking at just in your in your opinion, what do you think are some of the things that they should be? Um, yeah, I think I, th I think payments is still. Um, I think yeah, th there's been a lot of improvement in the space, but at the same time, um, I think it's it's a challenging area when you when you're trying to set up payments because the guys that you're typically talking to are essentially third party or what you, what we call third party payment gateway or payment provider or PSP as such, who's sitting on top of. Um, so in the UAE, for example, and, and to some extent in Saudi, we've essentially got like oligopoly situations in the acquiring space. So guys who can actually, who've been authorized by uh, by their respective um, central banks, as well as by guys like Visa MasterCard, to be able to actually accept credit cards and to be able to process those credit cards. So not issuers, but guys that can actually accept it. And so the issue that you typically have there is that that makes it very challenging for, you know, so the third party that you're talking to may be very, very good, but the bottleneck typically happens on the acquiring end. Um, which, you know, we, we, so I, I think a couple of things. One is I think you need a, I would go out and talk to all of the major players out there and there's probably, you know, a good four or five. Um, if you're doing something at a bit more scale or you think you're going to get to some, you know, to significant scale, I think it's worth talking to some payment providers um, outside of the region as well. So there are some guys um, who are multi-region who are global who can essentially do single accounts for multiple currencies um, who can give you, you know, better rates and, and so on. But I think if you're starting off, I typically start with the, with, with the usual sort of suspects and sort of take it from there. So, I mean, why haven't these payment providers evolved in the region to, you know, some, something, for example, like Stripe in the U.S.? Fantastic. Why don't we have that level of, you know, I think why it's does a, that not exist? I think it's the, the size region? of the market today, right, where um, I think we all want those those service providers to exist but when you genuinely look at the market opportunity versus economies like the states and europe and places like china etc i think those those opportunities are just so vast that we you know sort of if you look at you know take take a parallel example to to someone like apple that took apple so many years for for us to turn into a launch market essentially and i think it's it's essentially that it's where we come much further down the list in terms of priority, just simply due to size um, versus interest. Um, I'll give you a quick example in terms of, um, you know, going back to, to uh, you know, now that you brought up Stripe, I think if you look at, um, so someone that I know was trying to set up a business recently and they got in touch with a local payment provider and filled out a lead form. Uh, they got a call back two weeks later and in that same period, they managed two to go to Stripe. Later. Yeah, they managed <laughs> to go to Stripe Atlas. Um, so Stripe Atlas basically gives you 
a Delaware, um, uh, a company in Delaware basically gives you an SVB account, a Silicon Valley Bank uh, bank account, uh, an account with Stripe, as well as um, access to a couple of advisors in the audit and um, sort of law space as such. Um, so in the same period that it took the local payment provider to ring back to pick up the phone and, and make that call, um, this individual managed to set up an account with Stripe Atlas and formed a company, got a bank account, got a payment account, did some test payments and was already up and running. Wow. Wow. So it just goes wow. to show essentially. Maybe that's a space you should look at for your next <laughs> venture. Um, yeah, I think one of the things I was very interested in because towards the, um, just before the acquisition of JP, uh, you'd moved from a marketplace model to a SaaS model. Can you talk a little, little bit about that? Because you did mention you thought of yourself, thought of yourself essentially as a, essentially as a tech company, and SaaS model essentially uh, plays into that. Sure. So I think we were. So I, th I think that came from a couple of places. One, um, we felt that it was something that we could do. Um, two, I think you for last year for us. Um, we felt that the the e-commerce space and the reason had fundamentally shifted with. Um, you know, with guys like Moon bringing a lot of capital to market with, um, you know, um, we started hearing about the Souk Amazon deal probably in August or September, if I remember right. Um, so a fair few months before uh, you started coming out, if I remember, if I remember the timeframes correctly. And, and I think having seen that, I think it, it and, and given that we were playing essentially in the same space, I think we, we started to think about, OK, what's the next evolution of our business? Um, and if it's sure marketplace is great, but then if your marketplace is going head on with an Amazon Souk or with a new player that's bringing you know three or four times the capital that's been deployed in the entire in the entire sector as such, you need to go out there and do something different. So either you're going to have to go out and raise a lot of capital, which you know again you're asking investors to bet against Amazon, which is challenging, um, or um, alternatively go out and involve the business. And I think we felt that you know the evolution was to essentially go out and build more tooling, more product, essentially, in the e-commerce space for the region. Um, and that's that's basically the journey that we were undertaking, essentially. So then, essentially, you were uh, competing against someone like Shopify. Now, from from a merchant point of view, even if they are to get onto this platform uh, where they start using JP, um, the SaaS service, Hotcake, as it was called, um, they would still be competing against Amazon and Souk, right? In, in that scenario, does it just become a case of uh, people with the most capital win, which is Noon and Amazon, and so how do the middle and the small players survive? Or how do you think, I always look at Newegg. Newegg in the US is doing well, even against um, Amazon and, and other players in the space. So how do middle market players with, with minimum amount of capital then uh, fight against these giants? So it's a great question. I, th I think <coughs> from my perspective, when you look at um, what we were trying to achieve, I think we were looking at a sandwich between a marketplace and, and a SaaS platform or, or your typical sort of Shopify style platform where you take the upsides of a marketplace. So for example, things like a centralized catalog and and allow someone to come in and basically get up and running um, with an e-commerce proposition that they can own and brand and control um, in as quick, you know, in as quick a manner as possible and very sort of attuned to the region. So for example, things like um, you know, having Arabic available out of the box, et cetera. So that, that's one sort of what we were gunning for and aiming to do over the next, say, 18 to 24 months or such um, after we kicked off that play. Um, I think in terms of sort of mid-market players, I think the the challenge that you typically have is that, you know, you, you either, so if you're trying to go out and do your e own e-commerce proposition, generally speaking, when we're in a situation where 
there's a lot of capital involved and people are essentially willing to spend that capital to go out and acquire customers and are willing to take, you know, say, sort of burn that that capital, acquiring customers in the next three to four years. Um, not everyone can keep up at that pace. And so typically the guys with the most capital end up taking share in the short term. Um, you know, generally speaking, most mid-market players end up, um, uh, you know, either building something that's, you know, going to not be the largest business out there or they eventually end up. So, for example, guys who are selling their own product today, it's probably going to be a better proposition to go out and essentially sell on someone else's platform, um, depending on what category you're doing. I think Newegg, again, there are lots of examples similar to Newegg in other categories, um, both in the States as well as in Europe. Um, again, very deep markets, very, um, uh, you know, so today, for example, if you look at, you know, what's the second largest e-commerce player in the region, it's, so you've got Souk and then you've got, um, you've actually got Amazon themselves from the States. So when you've got situations like that, so I think our region is a little bit different and, and I think the depth of market is um, not there yet from a pure sort of e-commerce share perspective to allow players like three to 10 exist today um but they will i think as we as we continue to take share away from retail i think th those opportunities will open up and and i think you will see more more players and more category players hopefully so is it just a factor of uh, once the market it comes in from retail or the saudi is obviously a very big area of focus both for noon uh, for wadi and it was for you at jadopeda as well so what else do you think um do, does this market require in, so that this market can then be opened up and increased in size, not just moving away from retail, but also geographically speaking? So I, th I think it's, it's all of the same stuff that we've been seeing over the last three to four years in terms of, um, uh, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's what seems like mundane stuff, like the ability to get goods efficiently across borders, um, the ability for, let's say, customers in markets like Saudi to be able to, more easily accept electronic payments and you know some some of these things just take time so for example the whole cash and delivery thing is still it's you know it it's i think it's just become an, an accepted norm but that doesn't make it any efficient or more efficient than electronic payments so i think as those things just naturally start to evolve and change and and improve and and i think as there's more acceptance from customers about okay you know, so today, sure, there's lots of customers who want to shop online, but still there's questions around trust and am I going to get my product? And, you know, all of the same stuff that we've been experiencing over the last three or four years, but or maybe even a bit longer. But I think those barriers are coming down over time as we get more service providers, as people try new things, as new services come to market, and as, as, as just people get more comfortable just, you know, transacting online as such. Fair enough. So what's next for you now? Great question. Um, it's <laughs> it's complicated. So it's, um, uh, it's a play called Sanjo where... We're basically building a real estate asset management business on the Ethereum blockchain. And I know you're looking at me thinking, <laughs> okay, what is that? And um, yeah, I, I think we're, we're doing an early um, play essentially in the blockchain space. Um, when are you expecting to have this up and running? Um, it's in process at the moment and I, I don't want to commit to a date, but you know, it's summer and I'm taking it easy. No, I'm, I, I think we're probably, you know, four or five months essentially. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, just... Give us a little bit of explanation as to exactly what that is. I know you said some words, which not necessarily <laughs> meant all sense to me, but you know, it give was us Ethereum a minute <laughs> and real estate. And sure. So, um, so we're basically so in in a. So if I try to explain this in a nutshell, we're essentially aiming to buy, operate, and eventually sell um, a variety of real estate assets. So basically, build portfolios of different types of real estate assets. 
um, and then use um, a mechanism called tokenization to tokenize these portfolios of assets and be able to allow um, anyone who wants to come in and participate or uh, you know to be, to be able to get exposure to this asset class to come in and buy these tokens, to be able to trade these tokens, to get liquidity from these tokens, and to essentially earn from the underlying income from these real estate assets. And then eventually from, from there to go to building a real estate asset exchange where these tokens could be traded. Um, and then hopefully from there, go on to, you know, doing things like new development and so on. So, so it's very easy to picture what a typical Jadopedo customer looks like. But from what you're doing right now, what, who's your average customer? What, you know, who are you trying to target? Right, so our, our customers today are very, or potential customers today, are very early adopters in the blockchain and cryptocurrency space. Um, we estimate them to be, uh, you know, in the millions globally, um, but in the low millions globally. And I think when you look at both um, the two most popular sort of cryptocurrencies today, um, Bitcoin and Ethereum, there's combined this you know depending on which day you're looking at them and volatility and so on it's about an 80 billion dollar market cap so there's enough liquidity in both of those um uh, currencies today to be able to essentially go out and and buy new asset classes with them um but i think where our customer isn't is no longer their typical over-the-counter consumer um but i think getting started at this point um and being able to hopefully use some of our prior experiences as we built out um, technology around this and sort of technology around the real estate space. Um, the hope is that as there are more adopters coming in into uh, using these cryptocurrencies and using um, you know the tooling that's going up around them that uh, hopefully will will grow out alongside. What made you pick this? I mean, I'm sure there were a few projects that you were looking at, and you know what made you decide that okay, this is what I want to bet on. Um, so I, I mean, there were a bunch of ideas. There's always ideas, and um, there's always something brewing. But it's essentially um, looking at uh, we were we've always been involved in the real estate space, and and I think it was essentially looking at real estate and saying, um, uh, you know, this is an interesting space. You know, we'd like to be in this space, and and you know, I, w I was sort of playing around with it, you know, probably six eight weeks ago, and thinking, okay, um, so I've got the real estate piece, and I'm not. You know, it, it didn't it didn't feel like the idea was complete. So we we'd been throwing around some ideas in in terms of sort of tenant management and sort of property management and all of that sort of stuff. And um, uh, someone that that I've been quite close to for a number of years, basically, who introduced me to cryptocurrencies a couple of years ago, essentially sat down with me a few weeks ago, and he's like, you know, this this is what the space is looking like. And I was like, oh, you know, what if we did tokens and you know, if we tokenize this real estate? And I think just the idea just came from there and. Uh, I got very excited at that point, and I think that conversation two hours later, I was like, "Okay, this is the next idea." So, um, but it's a hard one. I think it's early, and yeah, it's volatile and all sorts of things. But you know, this is early, even in on a global scale, right? Not just Dubai or not just the Middle East. Yeah, it's, I think it's early, pretty early, um, just globally. Yeah. Are there any other players who are doing the same or anything similar, or any other industries? Because you talk about real estate as as an asset class, um, apart from the uh, currencies themselves. Are there any other similar plays happening globally? Well, I think there there are guys definitely in the real estate space in other markets, um, places like Singapore, places like the states, where um, building stuff um, in the blockchain space or building stuff even in, in the tokenization space. 
Um, there are other industries for sure, whether it be financial services or um, you know, pick anything and someone is building something there. And, and typically most plays today are on the protocol layer or on the software layer, so in the sense that you know, people are trying to build the equivalent of file sharing or the equivalent of um, social networking in a distributed computing environment as such. And then there are other guys who sort of are saying, okay, you know, um, can I build, uh, you know, like a ticketing engine or whatever it may be. I think there are, there are less plays in trying to marry the physical and the digital world, um, but there are definitely some there. So, I mean, when you look at the, um, well, I'm going to say the electronics or internet or digital landscape right now, the companies that come to your mind are like what, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, Google, um, how do you think, I mean, do you think this will continue for the next decade or do you somewhat see a disruption happening where, you know, how internet sort of just completely changed things around? Uh, do you think there is a possibility of another disruption in the space where, you know, a decade from now, these five companies won't necessarily matter as much as, you know? Um, it's, it, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's hard to say. I think um, some of these guys have, uh, multi-decade staying power and they've they've been able to evolve their businesses and you know guys like apple and microsoft i think are some great examples of that and um i, I think some of them will so if you look at you know you look at a business like microsoft and, and someone that looked dead or dead to you know any tech enthusiast five years ago i mean you know Satya Nadella has done such an incredible job with that business and and so you know when, when you have um, you know, a very deep balance sheet and, and a very deep sort of leadership team and the ability to sort of evolve these businesses. I, th I think you can't count them out. But it's, at the same time, I think, um, you know, just given the sort of tech that's out there today, so whether it be, you know, stuff in the AR space or ML and the typical sort of acronyms out there, I think a lot of this stuff is going to have a major impact on what we see and the sort of organizations that come up. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if we saw at least one or two new um, significant businesses that, that we can look back on and say, okay, these things didn't exist 10 years ago and, you know, here they are sort of competing and we just, we've just not seen them today. Well, I know you have to run, but I have one last question for you. Um, for anyone, for any entrepreneur looking to sort of start their business in the region, are there any tips or is there anything that you think they should be doing, not doing? Just overall, a very general. Oh, great question. I think there's, there's so many. Um, I... You know, I I, th I think I typically generally advise that you know you, you figure out what you want to do and um, figure out how to sort of test it and do it at the lowest cost possible before sort of jumping in and all guns blazing. Um, I think I think there's, there's there's lots of opportunities out there and um, it's worth testing, trying and saying, okay, you know, what do I what do I want to do and does this make sense? And um, um, and and essentially, I think my, I'm a big advocate for. Um, I think we're 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 this phase at the moment where in the last again five eight years there's been so much hype around raising capital and essentially um you know i need x millions to go out and do this but you don't really i mean you know a lot of the tooling that you need a lot of the you know we were again recently looking at um at tooling for example in the hr space so you know from seeing one hr solution three years ago Today, I mean, there there are dozens. There's so many out there, and um, so you know, any anything, any for example, any SaaS tool that you can imagine in any category or any vertical or sub vertical, it exists. Someone is doing it, um, 
and and it just means that um, not only um, not only are these spaces right because now there are people out there globally looking to use these solutions, but at the same time, what it means is that if you're starting off today, a lot of the solutions that you need already exist. I mean, you know, you don't need to go out and build a lot of stuff from scratch, and you can essentially. Um, at least to test with cobble together a lot of different bits and pieces yourself or with a very small team and essentially get stuff out there and 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 there you go you have your initial version of your business nice Barney. so if you weren't doing crypto real estate what would you be doing <laughs> well that's a good time i'm gonna, I'm gonna remember <laughs> that um honestly i have no idea um i you know again there's always ideas sort of bouncing around and um Hopefully we'll stick with this one for the moment and you know, maybe if something else interesting comes along, we'll, we'll take it from there. Perfect. Thank you very much Great. for being Thank you for your time, Omar. Thank I you. Thanks for that. having me. All right. Good stuff. All right. Moving on to the tech segment of ah. Behind the Bites. Mike is in the office. Hello. Hey, Mike. How are you? Good. I Good. think you need to um, solve some traffic issues. Yeah. We need to solve some traffic issues in the bay. Yeah, it's crazy, man. I, maybe we should get someone on to talk about that next week. <laughs> Good idea. Maybe yeah. we need to get someone. I, I look forward to listening to what you guys have to say to Omar. It sounded, <laughs> I caught the tail end of it and it sounded fascinating. No, I mean, it was a good, it turned out to be a good interview. Cool. Okay. So let's start with um, the internet was making a lot of noise when Microsoft announced that uh, Microsoft Paint is being depreciated. Mm. Uh, what that means is that the update that Microsoft is releasing to Windows, the creator's update, is it? Mm. Yeah. Fall, yeah. Something? Uh, ironically. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you won't be able to create using Paint anymore. Uh, Microsoft did come out and clarify that, look, they're simply moving Paint to the store. So you're still going to be able to download it mm -hmm. and use it, but it's not going to be built Bundle in as part of yeah Windows. And it won't be updated as well, from what uh, I've read. I don't know. I didn't uh, I didn't get a chance to follow up on okay. that. But, uh, but it will be in the Microsoft store. Yeah. Um, does anybody still use Bain? I mean, why are people, you know, just... I think I think it's just a case of nostalgia. Okay. It's one of the one of the few softwares where you played around with as soon as you got a computer, even before the internet, right? I remember when I first got a computer, the internet used to cost 18 dirhams an hour because uh -huh. you used to pay... Uh, used to pay 30 fills a minute. That's when you used to pay uh, <laughs> By the minute. for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> so you spent a lot of time offline. Right. And in addition to Solitaire, Paint was the other thing you just messed about with hmm. um, and it's essentially just that I think it's nostalgia I haven't used well I'm on Mac right now but even on Windows I haven't used Paint in a very very long time Look, the Nokia 3310 is a nostalgia piece of technology as well so I, it's, I, it's, it's literally well sitting in the box yeah. since, but you know I, I haven't yeah so I, I honestly don't I mean, think we, we published a story today uh, on the website just talking about the alternatives to Paint and there's like you know we put up six but there's so many more Oh, absolutely. That are, doing, that are doing things better than Paint ever was, really. I mean, there's nothing wrong with Paint. Right. I'm with you. It was like when you installed Windows 3.1, it was on there with like Minesweeper and Solitaire yeah, right. and Paint, yeah. right? Like those exactly. are the three things that you got with the operating system. And yeah, it was fun. No, absolutely. I mean, even if you look at a basic notes app, um, you know, with stylus functionality and all of that, I think everything else has moved on so far ahead. Okay. Yeah. that um, let's let pain die. Yeah. I think that's probably <laughs> the best thing that Express we can do. <laughs> um, lots of um, phone launches coming up. Mm. So apparently Nokia sent out invites for what could be the Nokia 8 uh, to be revealed on August 16. A week later, Samsung is doing Note 8 on August 23rd. And then on August 30, we have the um, LGB30 mm. right before IFA. Um, yeah. It's interesting that all these are happening Right Not, next to each yeah. other. Right well, before, before IFA. Before, before, right before IFA. IFA. Yeah. Exactly. Right before IFA. Like once again, sort of putting significance as to why people should bother going to IFA. There, there's a good chance that 
Sony's possibly announcing something as well, although we don't have yes. much details on that. So, I mean, yes. I mean, we literally just finished off a round of phone after phone after phone no, after yeah. phone of launches, you know, and a month then later. Then came the I, summer. Exactly. Absolutely. And obviously all of this is going to be followed by iPhone. I mean, August 30th mm. is the last that I have. But fair enough, early September, we're going to mm. get to hear about the new iPhone as mm-hmm. well. So it's it's time I mean, it for... Sure goes to show just how crowded the space is, isn't it? I mean, what was the last one? It was like the OnePlus 5, right? That's right. And that was and just, what, a like month a ago? Month ago? Yeah. Not even a month ago. So, and I already. mean, we literally have new phones. With the U11 before that. That's yeah. right. The HTC U11 right. came yeah. out before that, too. And then there was the S8 and then, you know, all of that before that. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm excited about some of these. Yeah, I'm excited okay. about the new Note. Um, mm-hmm. I'm even excited about the LG phone. I really like the V10, the first one. Right. The V20 kind of didn't do it for me, but I think maybe if they can come back from that. What I liked about it is a really good audio phone. Right. Like you had the DACs in there. It sounded great. All right. And, and that first one had a nice camera. Um, so, I mean, from an audio point of view, um, there were a couple of phones that were literally just announced on the medium end last week there was one which was the um uh, lg's q10 and then uh, the other one that was on there was um huawei's uh, nova 2 now both of them yes. have something called the apt x bluetooth yeah yeah any idea what that is yeah I mean, yeah it's something that's been around for a that. while that some phones or some phones or not have it um it's basically just a, a better connection of bluetooth so it means you can i believe push more data across for it okay so you can technically have a higher rate of connection better quality less signal degradation between your headphones right and and, the handset and and the handset okay um i'm trying to think what recent devices use it i believe the new sony phone does okay zx premium all right which is good i mean and you I I reckon I can hear the difference, but you know sometimes okay. when you're like, yeah, ah, it's just placebo, yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's good. I think it's better for connection, which is great. So you're getting less dropout. But whether you know, if you're trying to stream stuff off Spotify that's on low quality anyway, yeah, what difference is it going to make that you're using a aptx bluetooth look i mean as far as connection is concerned, mm. I mean to me, hands down, AirPods. You literally just open yeah. the case connects it to your iPhone almost immediately. Sure. You know, does Aptex offer somewhat similar experience? No, or? I, it's, it's just a slightly more improved version of Bluetooth. I okay. don't think it's more like the, in not, not in connecting the device, but in more holding connection. Right. Does that make sense? So okay. you're less likely right. to, to drop dropouts and Got that it. kind of thing. Got it. It's not quite as clever as the, I believe the W1 chip that, right. um, that Apple has that on Apple there. Has in the iPhone. Fair enough. So, I mean, of these new high-end phones that we're expecting, Nokia 8, Note 8, LG V30, possibly something from Sony as well. I mean, what are you guys looking forward to? Let's start with um, Bhavishya. You have Huawei with you. You're I still do. using the Mate I'm 9. I'm still using the Mate 9. Yeah. Um, and I think this is going to be my primary driver for the next two years. Okay. Two years. A year That's at a least. long time. Well, I'm going to be a broke space. MBA student, so <laughs> <laughs> my spending will be dramatically curtailed. Right. Um, no, I think because for me, I've, I've talked about the phone at length. It's mm-hmm. got a great camera, great battery life. Um, dual sim so it does oh mike's back mike's on back on, on as well, as well. Wow. yeah okay. so that's a double endorsement that's, again that's quite an endorsement right um, but what i'm looking forward to is the note 8 mm-hmm. um, i think with the s8 samsung it just got on another level right mm. the camera the screen the 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 design everything mm-hmm. that you have all other android phones and now you have a samsung yep it's a classic but for sure and I also think there's a lot riding on Samsung, especially after the entire Note 7 fiasco. Sure. To not just, we've seen they can deliver safety with 
the S8, yep, right? Absolutely. No known cases of yeah. um, phones blowing up. Yeah, the uh, seven fan. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> probably came in with a built-in fan to cool it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, so they can't just just stop there. A phone which doesn't blow up, right? That's not their selling point, right? So we got to see what the Note Eight actually brings, especially with the whole Bixby coming in, which so, is still yeah, yeah. So that's interesting. I mean, because I mean, as far as the Note Eight is concerned, um, the only new piece of tech that at least the leaks are pointing out is the dual camera. Right. Other than yeah. that, it looks very much like an S Eight with your stylus or pen uh, or whatever yeah, it is. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think what's more interesting from this list is. Now that this, the, the Galaxy S8 is out, mm-hmm. the onus is on these other companies, on LG, on potentially Nokia, on Sony, who've had a... It's a the new phone is nice, but it's standard. It's only fair. Whether they're going to take the take the lead from Samsung and say, okay, let's try something different with design. Let's do this edge display stuff. Um, maybe it's too soon. I don't know, because normally these things, they've got like 18-month product cycles, sure. right? So yeah. they're probably... Sure. Have them made from last year, mm-hmm. but I'd be interested to see if the V thirty doesn't end up looking a little bit different to the previous devices, whereas the other two were a bit similar. Right, or trying to go through this all like edge display, which the which the G six had right exactly. So I'm, yeah. I'm assuming that the V thirty will be a continuation mm. of the G six because yeah. uh, what did they do with V twenty last year? They made it a bit more premium, just like the G five. Right. So I'm assuming V30 is going to be more of a, you know, mm-hmm. um, edge-to-edge kind yeah. of screen, and I, I don't know what else. What is absent from this list as well, is that you brought to mind, Bavisha, is the is the Mate 10. Yeah. Right, exactly. Right? So no, that's, what no was that? Was that October last year, November? Yeah, yeah, when we went in October, October, yeah. October, November last year. Okay. So that's definitely coming. The iPhone's definitely coming. The Pixel 2 is definitely coming. Mm-hmm. But I think these are the three that yeah. are literally, like, yeah. next month. The Mate know? 10 looks interesting as well, because there's... Rumors suggest that they're finally going to move to an OLED display, mm. OLED and a 2K display. The Mate 9 has been a 1080p display. But the Mate 9 Pro had an OLED display. Yeah. Right, but the Mate 9 but Pro was smaller. Design, yeah. uh, 5. 5. 5. Yeah, yes. this is a 5.9. And the Mate 10 is set to be 6.1. Oh, but wow. also bezel-less. So, okay. So, yeah, so the form factor might remain the same. Right. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> but again, yeah. battery life, man. The reason we yeah. hang on to this yeah. phone is the battery, battery life. life. And AMOLED yeah. is supposedly good for battery yeah. versus yeah, LCD. So you, you never that's know. You know. That's, that's actually why I moved from the P10 Plus mm-hmm. to, to the Mate 9. The P10 Plus was a great phone. It fit my hand and, fo- uh, and pocket a little better. But it had a... Decent battery life, but I was coming from the Mate 9 and I was spoiled. So I was happy to go to the low-res display uh, for the battery life. Yeah, and I think the screen on the Mate 9 is, is fine. fine. Yeah. For um for LG with V30, I literally just have one request for them. Yeah. Please make the same version throughout the world. No more wireless charging <laughs> in the US, audio in South Korea <laughs> and everything else in between. Much, yeah. Seriously, just make one phone. How difficult would that be? Well, you know, all manufacturers do that, right? Even Huawei... Uh, Honor actually, their 6X was different in the States than it was in the Middle East. I can understand if it has to do something with the patents and whatever else. RAM. Okay, so I mean, there's no reason for RAM to be different yeah. across yeah, different parts of the world, right? I mean, Sony can't release a fingerprint sensor on their phones in the US because of a patent dispute. Right. Currently. That that makes that sense. makes sense. Yeah. But I mean, for other companies to do something like this, I mean, it's it's easier for them. It's more cost effective for them as well. I'm assuming yeah. if there's just one particular model that goes everywhere on sale, 
you know, easier to maintain, easier really to update. It, it just and I, doesn't make sense. They can, they can scream about as much like focus testing. Yeah, market, market data suggests. Bullshit, man. Exactly. Everybody wants everything Absolutely. all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's you, your market data. Yeah, even when you look at, for example, the Samsung Galaxy S8, yeah. it's the same phone. Fine. I mean, in the sense that, yes, there are dual SIM and single SIM versions of it. But other than that, it's the exact same right. phone. Process. You might have a different processor wise, your Snapdragon versus Exynos. Exynos. Um, yeah. Performance wise, they're almost. Function wise, is the same. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Feature wise, they're identical. So I don't understand why all the other companies. Imagine if, you don't could, do if, if an similar. iPhone came out here, uh, an iPhone, I don't know. The, the plus edition came out here without a dual camera yeah just because absolutely like, like we don't really have a reason market says yeah, the middle exactly. doesn't want a dual camera yeah, but, but you know Apple sample size of 12 yeah, right. <laughs> um nokia 8 none of you guys seem too interested or excited about it i gotta play around with that nokia 3 that we picked okay. up and it's uh, it's an average phone. yeah there's nothing outstanding about yeah. it but then again it's a very low cost yeah it's, it's know, a full 499 no, something device bad. in fact it was lagging when i was yeah. setting it up on play store yeah the they say it's clean Android. I shudder to think what would happen if they actually yeah. had an overlay on top, right? <laughs> it's probably clean Android, not by design, <laughs> but by necessity. No, I mean, so, I don't know. Maybe the Nokia 8 will be a solid device. Um, clean Android is definitely a welcome step forward. They have Corning Glass and manufactured by Foxconn. So they have the right people in place. Yeah. Um, it needs to come at the right price point and a design as well. The yeah. 3, 5, and 6, they were... Mm. They look like old. Indistinguishable. Exactly. Yes. I agree. It's, it's it. You wouldn't pick them up in a lineup. Yeah. I agree. So I know that the iPhone announcement is a little bit later, but Bhavishya, this is the last episode that you have with us. Mm. So I'm going to ask you this. Uh, what would make you come back to an iPhone with the uh, with the next iPhone? Is there anything that would make you... Forget oh, the pricing. It's not um, going to be cheap. We know that. Yeah. But uh, what is there anything in particular that would make you come back to an iPhone? I know that you were an iPhone user. Yeah. You switched to Android. You've been using that happily for the last few months or quarters. Uh, is there anything that Apple can do to make you switch back to an iOS device? To an Actually, iPhone? yes. So um, dual SIM would be nice, but I don't realistically expect that to happen. If that if a dual SIM happens, I will I will seriously consider it. So maybe Apple SIM, because I mean that's part of iPad yeah. Pro. But um, I also need like two lines active at the same time. Right. Essentially, okay. it's it's I don't have a problem switching SIMs. Mm -hmm. I want two lines active when I'm traveling. When I travel, even like, for voice. Or more level voice and data? One level. voice, one data. Because when I travel, I get a second SIM for data. Got it. Okay. Um, but the second thing which I'm really excited about, and I might move to Apple, even if my dual SIM and the pricing issue doesn't get resolved, is AR. Right. I think Apple AR Apple is bringing AR mainstream. Um, I watched uh, the keynote mm -hmm. at WWDC, and there was very little I was excited about, mostly because I'm on Android, so there's a certain sense of apathy, which we've talked about. But AR caught my attention. I think with the install base that Apple has, with what the demos that I've seen of people already doing with AR on iPhones, it's just incredible. Yeah, and that's on existing hardware, Apple iPhone 7. I've cooled a little bit on the on the AR thing from Apple. I was impressed at the keynote, mm -hmm. like the game, like the kind of game environment that they mm -hmm. showed. Yep. Um, some of the other stuff where they were showing stuff on the table. I can't remember. But like for me, it's like to to really be impressed by AR. It, it's gonna have to be something pretty special and a bit more than just pointing my phone at, at the street. So, right? like, like, they're gonna do a headset. They're not like, gonna do it. At least not right now. Yeah, no, not with the. This is it, man. It's yeah. like if Apple brought me a pair of glasses that then did AR, then I may be a little bit. So, I'm not. I'm not saying it'll be bad. 
You okay. need to follow this account. I think it's called Made with A- Apple AR or Made with AR Kit. Mm. <clears throat> and there they're demonstrating all the demos that people are spinning out. Okay. One of the demos was navigation. Mm-hmm. So you point, you start Apple Maps navigation and, and you hit navigate. You point your phone at the street and there's an arrow, like a 3D arrow okay. telling you where to go. Because okay. maps can be hard to read. Sure. And, and yeah. the way it's executed, it's so Probably. simple. Mm-hmm. And very Apple before all dongle hell broke loose. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other is uh, something what you would expect from Ikea. It's simple furniture. Mm-hmm. You pick from a catalog, you place it somewhere, mm. and, and it fits. And mm. the whole thing, like you pick Using piece after flight, piece. Flight exactly. I mean, maybe this is it. Maybe it's just me being a bit curmudgeonly. But like, we you know, we're now at a stage where we're all spending our times with our faces looking down at our phones. And mm-hmm. maybe it's just Apple moving that. So we're, you know... L- looking at our phones as they pointed out towards yeah. the environment. Or, or right? even, even pointed down. Yeah, even pointed right. down right. as well. But like, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Like I want it to be good because I think AR is awesome. We've all tried to be I'm going to show you a few cool. demos yeah, and hopefully sure. that'll change. So, I mean, while on the subject of AR, um, Google at IO announced that they're going to have standalone, you know, AR devices yeah. or VR devices, sorry, not AR devices, um, you know, not strapped to anything, no phones going inside, feel free to walk around with them. They're supposedly coming by the end of the year as well. Um, what do you guys think about that? I know that HTC and who was the second company? Was it uh, Lenovo? Yeah, it was Lenovo. Oh, Lenovo. The phones. Lenovo. Yeah, the phones. So they're, yeah. they're not phones. They're basically um, VR hardware. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like you yeah. just strap it on. No need to yeah. uh, connect your phone and stuff yeah. like that to it. Uh, that is also something that we're expecting to see by the end of the year. I mean, thoughts on that? I think, think that's cool. I mean, VR is a very different space, right? To AR. It's very personal. It's the kind of thing, I was listening to something earlier today or yesterday where VR is going to be maybe the perfect platform for automated cars right because when you're no longer driving the car you need something to do within the car right and unless they're going to put screens on mm-hmm. the inside which they very may well do mm-hmm. if you can then strap on a headset and play 20 minutes of a game unless you're stuck in traffic then that's you know that's a fairly reasonable uh, use case for vr and i think these portable ones may be cool i for me i, I envision a future where you have maybe a dual system where you can have a pair of AR glasses like this, but then when you come home, you right. have a fixture that goes over the top and then takes the Got takes it. the experience further into a more Got AR it and converts it into a I mean, VR experience. miles away from something like that, I would imagine. Right. Like, I feel like maybe that's the logical step to do that. I, th- I think VR right now is is fun, but it's it's a little restrictive. You need an expensive computer. The VR headsets are expensive. That's true. The Vive runs that's true. three and a half, four thousand something dirhams, yeah. and then you need an eight to ten thousand dirham laptop or six thousand yeah. desktop yeah. to run games on it so sure. it's still one expensive sure. and two you can't move around with it correct it's still sit at home uh experience um, and it's still just gaming really yeah right? mostly like, yeah. yeah i mean there are other applications for video conferencing this kind of stuff but the focus is gaming, yeah. which is fine and education we, there's, there's a little yeah, bit of education, little bit of education but yeah sure. for the prim- most part gaming sure. but, uh, but which is nothing wrong with that because it's awesome for gaming but w- it AR, as we've talked before, has so many implications outside of gaming. Right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Apple is a company that is clever enough to do something with that, I hope. <laughs> and then they're a company that can move markets. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, sure. So, yeah. you know, they can standardize stuff. Um, so let's let's see what they come up with. That's, that's why I'm excited about AR with Apple as well. Because these demos existed, but what Apple, like you said, Apple has the power and the install base to move the market. Well, so I think AR may just finally come mainstream. Yeah, and I think if you look at it from sort of the devil's advocate point of view, Apple needs to sell iPhones, right? 
So what do they should? What can they do to sell iPhones? Make iPhones really cool mm. and be like, look, look at this AR shit you can now mm-hmm. do with yeah. your iPhone. You can sell another billion of them, right? Absolutely, because it's where they make their money. So I mean, maybe you're right, man. We'll see. Ooh, fair enough. Well, I guess that's pretty much all we have for you this week, um, Pavisha. It'll be kind of sad not to have you on our show at I'll, least physically. I'll miss, I'll miss doing I'll your miss show. Well. <laughs> 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 Just joking. Been, no, um, I, I think we is that why you showed up late today, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> I better make the effort. <laughs> uh, no, I think we should get you on Skype. One of uh, I one would of love to be back. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and it would be good to see you once we're in Barcelona for the Mobile yes, World Congress absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Good, good. Excellent stuff. So I guess that's it. We'll sign out. Um, and yeah. Uh, One last time, you can follow me on Twitter at Bhavishya. Uh, I'm Aja Farelli. I'm at Mike Priest. Send all your feedback uh, to us on Twitter at Behind the Bytes and over email at Behind... <laughs> Which Bhavishya is apparently checking. Uh, at BehindTheBytes.ae at gmail.com. All right. All right. See you later. See you Bye. Guys.